0: Listening to the Destiny Community Church podcast. Hey, last week we started a a new series called Legacy Living. And um, last week we, we specifically looked at our spiritual birthright and blessing. Too many people are settling for living in lack when God has prepared us to live in legacy. I hope you understand this. If not, by the end of this series, I need you to understand this. You need you to understand this. God wants you to understand this. It's time that God's people start living in legacy and not in lack. You've got to go after what God has prepared for you. You, 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 you can't let anything stop you from going after God. And Last week, we read about Jacob, and, and Jacob would, would not let anything stop him from getting the birthright and blessing. It wasn't even his He he was not supposed to be the recipient of the birthright and the blessing, but but he went after it. And and church, understand that what we have, we're not worthy of having. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We're not worthy of of it. But, But nevertheless, our birthright is in Christ Jesus. Our birthright is in Jesus. We are born again through him. Now we just need to live in the blessing part of it. We need to act like we're, we're, we're children of the King. Amen? We need to act like we belong in the kingdom of God. And so last week was about living in lack. Next week is going to be about, about leaving a legacy. We're going to talk about that. But today, I want to speak to you on the subject of living in legacy, like right now, learning to live in legacy in this moment. In the ecclesiastical world that, that I live in, and most of you in the room, you have no idea what this world looks like, but the ecclesiastical world that I live in, and what I mean by that is pastors, churches, that, that is a part of my life. And it has been my entire life because I was born into a pastor's home. And so there is this ecclesiastical world that many of you have never been privy to that is a major part of my life. And in that world, my last name carries a lot of weight. And hear me out, okay? It has nothing to do with me. So before you you hear part of what I just said and you start tweeting, you know, stuff out there for me to have to defend, hear me out. My last name carrying weight in that ecclesiastical world has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with my father. And so many of you in the room, you never had the opportunity to, to meet my, my dad. My father was a good man. He was a great pastor. But my, my dad was a pastor's pastor. And what I mean by that is that there were so many pastors that came to him for advice. They came to him for direction. And, and very seldom can I go to a, to a conference or to a meeting somewhere where there's a, a gathering of pastors that... Many of them don't come up to me and and just tell me how much my dad influenced their lives. My dad was popular among ministers, especially in the state of Florida. Now, with that being said, his name may not have opened up many doors or any doors to, to, to that matter in this community, but the opportunity afforded to me to plant a church is a direct result of who my father was. I, I, I know that. Uh, I'm, I'm not ashamed of that. But, but some of you need to, to understand this, especially before we get to next week. You need to understand that this church was birthed on a commitment from my licensing organization. And they sowed into us before we had one member. They committed spread out over a year to help us plant this church. Many of you don't know that. I know that it wasn't on my good name. I know that some of the people that were involved with that decision-making process to invest $30,000 to help us plant this church, I know that they were highly influenced because of who my father was. And I don't apologize for it. I'm not beginning to make up excuses for that. I don't run from it. I don't hide it. I just decided to embrace it and ride my father's coattail. (laughs) Life is all about who you know. If you have not figured that out yet, you need to. It will help you. For some of the, the young adults and even teenagers in the room, listen to me. Life is all about who you know. You might land the dream job if you know the right person. I'm not saying you have to, but I am telling you it doesn't hurt. It can actually help you that you can get the job that you want if you know the right person. You might get a better deal on a car or better, even a better interest rate if you know the right person. Some people might even get to marry the man or woman of their dreams If they know the right person or are in the right family, you don't agree with me? You've been to the mall. You've been to some store. You've been walking around and you look, and there she is, the most beautiful woman, and holding her hand is the ugliest man in the mall. You've seen it, right? And the first thing that comes to your mind is, he must have money. (laughs) And it's probably not his money. It's probably inherited money. You know this. Even in the kingdom of God, if you don't know the right person, you cannot enter. Because it all comes down to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't know the right person, you cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. Understand this. All roads do not lead to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. So it, it, you just can't be a good person or choose to worship whoever you want to, and and be a good person and make it to heaven. No. The only way you get to spend eternity in heaven, the only way that, that you get to be a part of the kingdom of God is knowing the right person. But praise be to our Father, the invitation to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior is open and available to everyone. Amen? But the right name? The right name carries strength. The right name carries with it power. The right name can open up doors, as it did for me. The right name has the ability to turn something out of nothing. To turn nothing into something. The right name. Proverbs 22 and 1 tells us, Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. Church, we should be so eager as to pursue building a legacy on a name that our families can be proud of. This should be something that we're striving for, right? Psalm 112 and verse 6 says, For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. I don't know about you, but but that's what I want with my own life. I want to be remembered forever, not not for my failings, not for my shortcomings. I want people to know that I was a righteous man of God. I want to be remembered forever. I want a legacy. When we ended last week, Jacob had supplanted himself into a position that wasn't his, wasn't rightfully his, but nevertheless, he put himself in a position to receive the, the birthright and to receive the blessing. And some people may have called him a cheat, a swindler, even some versions of the Bible say deceiver. But the fact remains, Jacob had the birthright and the blessing. So that meant that now he had two-thirds of the shares of of the inheritance from his father, and with the blessing he would, would be named the patriarchal leader of the family at his father's death. So once his dad dies, he has control over the whole clan. God had made a promise to his grandfather, Abraham, and to his father, Isaac. God had made a promise to them and and had, had told them that a blessed and holy nation would come through them, would come from their family. And so we've got this anticipation that there is going to be a blessed people that come from Abraham and Isaac. Now it's, it's going to flow through Jacob. But how many of you know that when you have a promise of God attached to you, the enemy will do everything within his ability to try and discourage you? When you've got the promise of God attached to your life, Satan will do whatever he possibly can, can to discourage you because if he discourages you, then you will not have the courage to stay faithful to the legacy within you. There is a legacy within you, and, and, and he wants to discourage you. That means without courage. And he wants you to live life without courage so that you cannot walk into that promise. Jacob was not exempt from the attack of the enemy. The Bible tells us that his brother hated him and vowed to kill Jacob at his father's death, or after the time of mourning after his father's death. Listen to this. In Genesis chapter 27, verse 41, it says, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. This is premeditated murder. If he is successful with this, this is premeditated murder. murder. He hates his brother. He hates the, the way that he has, he has taken his birthright and his blessing, and, and he wants him dead. And so uh, uh, his father, Jacob's father and mother, they, they, they send him away uh, with the excuse to go find a wife, but it's ultimately to save his life. And I don't have time to get into this today, but how many of you men know that if you find the the Right wife, it can save your life. Yeah, Some of you, you were wild back in the day, and uh, God saved your life because of your wife or through your wife, and you should praise God for that. We all know that at one time she thought you had money. We can see you. <laughs> Have you ever heard that phrase, though, it takes one to know one? It takes one to know one? And what happens in this, in, in this, this biblical account is that God puts another Jacob in Jacob's path because sometimes it takes someone just like you in order for you to see what God wants you to see. And God put Uncle Laban in Jacob's life to bring Jacob to a better recognition of himself. I don't have time this morning to get into to, uh, all of it, but, but Laban was, this, was a man. It was his uncle on his mother's side. Chances are he had probably never met him before. Many times, though, his mom had probably told him, Jacob, you remind me so much of your uncle. You, you, you look like him. You talk like him. You act like him. You just remind me so much. And, and sure enough, when, when he meets Laban, he meets his match because Laban was a man that also, like Jacob, knew how to get what he wanted out of life. It wasn't always the right way, but he knew how to get what he wanted out of life. And when Jacob wanted to marry his beautiful daughter, Rachel, when, I mean, he just fell in love with her. And, and Jacob agreed to work for Uncle Laban for seven years for her hand in marriage. And so they had this deal on the table. You work for me for seven years, and I'll give you my daughter. I know what you're thinking. Wait, that's his cousin. It's, it's primitive age now, okay? Primitive age. I'm not even going to try to explain that today. Just go with me, okay? So he works for seven years, and the wedding day comes. And and she she must have been covered with a, a veil or something over her face because it is not until after they consummate the marriage that he realizes that he did not marry Rachel, but he married her older sister Leah, who, by the way, was the lesser attractive sister out of the two. He did not love Leah. He did not fall in love with Leah. He was in love with Rachel. Now, I'm not saying that Leah was ugly. I said lesser attractive. I'm not saying that she was ugly. I'm just saying that if she had a dollar for everyone, every time someone called her ugly, sooner than later men would start finding her attractive. It's, it's a lot to do with looks and money today. You, you got that? Okay. <laughs> We're going to keep moving on. Love is in the eye of the money holder, right? Amen. Then Jacob Jacob. After he was swindled by his by his uncle, he agrees to work for another seven years so that he can marry the 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 more beautiful daughter, the one that he is in love with, Rachel, and so he works for a total of 14 years and ends up with two wives. Why any man would want two wives? Who knows? Sometimes, sometimes we butt heads with people and we fail to see the reason why we are at odds with them, and it could be because they're just like us. Be careful before you amen me. Sometimes God will put people in your life that are a lot like you. They look like you. They talk like you. They act like you. And God will put people in your life to help you see who you really are. My daughter is a lot like me. She was in first service and um, she's, a, she's a lot like me. And I don't need your amen's right now. We are both strong-willed people. We're both very determined people, good and bad ways. We're we're determined. And at times with my daughter when I hear her, I think to myself, I know that strong will. I know where she gets that from. It's undeniable. I know that it that it, it happens and at times, God has used my daughter's determination to help expose my hard-headedness. Any other parents in the room, you see that in your own children? I think God just does this. It's almost like a, a game that God plays with us sometimes. It's like, okay, you, you treated your parents like this. You wait until, I, wait until I put this child in your life. You reap what you sow, right? Thank God I didn't reap what I sow. Thank God. Whatever your character flaw is, chances are, you don't like somebody that is just like you. And it can be. It can be your child. It can be your spouse. It can be a co-worker. It can be your child's teacher. It can be a coach. It can be your parents. It can be the lady in front of you at the grocery store. Sometimes God will put people in your path that act just like you. And if you will allow it to, it will, it will shed light on your own shortcomings so that you can grow and you can mature. God can use people that bother us, the most to teach us about ourselves and, and and the Lord used this to bring Jacob to an, an an end of his own natural strength, because in in Laban his uncle Jacob could see his own weaknesses and now and, and let me tell you in just a few sentences here i 'm about to fast forward like like dozens of years okay we 're going to cram a lot into just a few sentences here now Jacob has two wives he he has he Eleven, soon to be 12 sons. We're going to read about the birth of the last one here in just a moment. So he's going to have 12 children and a brother that is on his way to kill him. Just because you have the promise of God, the blessing of God on your life, does not mean that it will not come without hardship. And God has begun to do a work in his life and Jacob can recognize and see, because of Laban, he can recognize and see some of his own shortcomings. Genesis chapter 32, I want to read verses 1 through 2, and, and then we'll jump down to verse 9. Genesis chapter 32, verse 1. says, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Now, let me pause just for a moment. Mahanaim actually means two camps. That's what the word means, two camps. So he says, this is God's camp and my camp, two camps. Genesis thirty-nine chapter or 32, verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with my children. But "But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude." Church, spiritual legacies can be lost on the battlefields of double mindedness. Hear me out. Spiritual legacies can be lost on the battlefield of double mindedness. Jacob is torn between his own abilities and God's abilities. I don't know if you noticed it, but in our text it's spelled out there for us. Notice what happened. Jacob says these words as, as, as he prays. He says, I only had my staff. Do you remember last week what I told you about the shepherd's staff and the notches that were in it representing every success every accomplishment that they had in their life. It's why God told Moses to lay down the staff, lay down your accomplishments, and when he picked it back up from there on, it's referred to as the staff of God. So if you're going to be successful uh, in leading these people, you, you've got to work off of God's accomplishments, not your own. And, and so Jacob says these words. He said, when I entered this land, he said, I only had my staff. It's, it's, it's self-centered. I only had my staff when I crossed The Jordan, when I crossed the Jordan, I only had my staff. I only had my accomplishments. Now I have become two camps. And what Jacob is doing in this moment, church, is that he's making it all about him. He's making it all about him. And this is the real struggle in Jacob's life. This is the problem with Jacob. This is the thing that God needs to purge from him is he is constantly making it about him. But I can tell you this, all of us, all of us, we are constantly making it about us. I can can prove this to you. When you and your spouse get into an argument, at first, it's always all about you. It's about your hurt. It's about your disappointment. Whatever happens in that moment, until you really step back and you think about it and come to your senses, it's always about you. When two kids are arguing, it's always about the one or the other. It's always, they always make it about themselves. It was, it was my candy. It was my toy. She hit me. That, that it's, we always, our, our natural tendency is to make it about us. And, and this is the struggle in Jacob's life. It's the struggle in all of our lives, good or bad. We always make it about us. And Jacob is struggling with who he was. And who he was supposed to be in God. Now, physically, I, I don't want anyone to misread this. Physically, he divided his camp into two groups in two different locations. He had become so wealthy, so large, that he said, "When my brother attacks me, I don't want him to to be able just to to kill everybody and take everything that I have." And so, when he comes, I'm gonna I'm gonna have everybody separated. But but. Though he physically divided his camp into two different locations, he also is experiencing this spiritual division in his, in his own mind. We read about it. He said, I, I, I'm going to call this place two camps because it's God's camp and my camp. That's what he said. So it's Jacob's camp versus God's camp. That's the struggle, the internal struggle that he is, happen, is happening. It's a spiritual uh, division within him, in his own mind. And, and listen to what, what James, the brother of Jesus, many years later, hundreds of years later, James, the brother of Jesus, when he finally became a believer, here's what he wrote in, one of his, in, in his letter, James chapter one, verse six. He said, "But when you ask him, he said, "When you pray, when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone." In other words, it's not about you. It's not about what you can accomplish. It's about what God can do. So make sure that you put your faith not in yourself, not in your own accomplishments, but put it in God. He said, but when you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Some versions will say a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Th- this, this is so good. You've, you've got you've to hold on to this. Listen to me. I have experienced this in my own life. Now, I know 2020 was a rough year for everyone, okay? I, 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 probably all of, anybody in this room could come up here and, and, and preach how somehow in 2020 you were unstable. Some of us are still unstable. Some of you right now, I can tell by that little twitch, you're unstable in this moment right now. But but listen to me. In, in 2020, the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, I, I was writing a book that I was excited about. And, and I, I, was, I had big hopes and dreams of, of what this book was going to become. I knew that God had, had given me the topic for this book. I knew that, that this was a God thing and that, that he needed me to walk this out. He wanted me to walk this out. And... um. And, and so I continued after the the pandemic hit. I continued to write, and and if you know anything about my year in twenty twenty, and, and this is not a woe is me; it's just factual. Here's 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 what happened. I, there there were many hardships during twenty twenty, things that I, I don't even care to talk about, but things that just happened in my own um, personal life and ministry, and and, and things that, that that just felt like betrayal in in, in many ways. My father died during twenty twenty, and. And just so many things that were just, just going wrong. And, and I continued to write this book. And one day, I, I, I was writing, and I, I keep holding a pen in my hand, but I was actually typing. I was not actually writing, but I was typing. But I'll tell you what the Holy Spirit told me. The Holy Spirit just said, Rocky, put the pen down. Stop typing. And the reason why because I was bleeding all over the pages. The hurt, the pain, it was just coming out in every chapter. And the Holy Spirit just said, stop. This is not the reason why I've given you this book. Because the purpose of the book, if you know anything about it, is to inspire small town pastors, churches and congregations and ministry. That's the whole purpose of the book. Listen, if I would have continued writing the book, by some miracle, if it would have been published by, by any means, even self-published, I, I think even self-publishing, they would have said, like, save your money, don't take it. You know, don't let us take your money, just keep it. But if for some reason it would have been published and any pastor would have read this <laughs> after a year like 2020, they would have been, okay, I, I just paid for this book, you know, where can I slip my wrist? You know, it, it, it wouldn't have been encouraging at all. It would have been awful. The Holy Spirit said, you're unstable. I'm admitting this to you. It's it's tough when the Holy Spirit tells you, you are unstable. And the scripture says that when you're unstable, it's in all your ways. And so I had to push back and just say, God, I, I need you to heal me before I can continue going down this. Now, praise be to Jesus. I can tell you that just in the past week or two, God has released me to continue writing this book. And so now we pick the pen back up and we continue writing, and, and we'll be telling you more about that later. Because if you buy a copy, then you and my mom will both have a copy, and that'll be great, okay? When your faith is doubting, listen, when you are, are double-minded in any area of your life, and your faith is doubting, double-minded, uh, is, is, it, is it me, is it God? Am I going to try and do this under my own abilities or am I going to let God do this for me? When you are doubting, when your faith is doubting, the best thing that you can do is go pick a fight with God. I'm not kidding. I'm very serious right now. The best thing you can do when you are doubting, when, you, when your faith is lacking, the best thing that you can do is go pick a fight with God. Because whether you know it or not, right now you're fighting with God your flesh and your spirit are at war right now. We go through it every day, every day. And I can tell you, God's God's not afraid of your honest questions. God's not afraid of of your honest comments. You think that you're going to say something that's going to offend God so much that he will stop loving you? It's not the way God works. God's not afraid of your finite mentality. He knows that That you can't verbalize what's really going on inside. And so he, he humors us by actually listening to us. But the best thing you can do in those moments is just go pick a fight. And and, and let me show you how this works. You let a child doubt the authority of their mom or dad. And that child says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to push the limits here. I'm going to pick a fight with mom or dad. I'm going to see how far I can go in this moment. Good parents, not all parents, Good parents. Somebody say good parents. Good parents will let that child know real quick who is, who was, and who is going to be in charge. Really quick, a parent will not hesitate. A good parent will not wait. A good parent will let them know, listen, you don't have to understand it. I understand it. And if I don't understand it, then it's for me not to understand. And we will not understand together. But I don't have to explain myself to you. See, some of you, the problem right now is you're not good parents. You need, uh, let's, let's move on. Let's move. Jacob picked a fight. You think I'm done with that. Jacob picked a fight and God obliged and got into the octagon with him. He got into the ring with him and one-on-one with God. Here we go. I alluded to it last week. Let's talk about it right now. Genesis 32, verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him. Now listen, we're going to find out by the end of this that that man is God. God wrestled with him. Just keep that in your mind. He was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, this is what the man says, Let me go. For the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Listen, he was not a perfect man by any means, but you have to admire the tenacity of Jacob. Jacob knows what he wants and he will go after it. He will let nothing stop him. And in this moment, he wants to be blessed. He wants to be blessed so badly that he will not let go. God has, has, has showed up in human form and, 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 and has wrestled with him all night long. And he says, I'm not going to let go unless you bless me, verse 27. And he said to Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. He realized in that moment that he had fought all night with God. And we know, we know, in one moment God just could have went, you know, and he's dead. He's just dust on the ground. We know that. But God obliged and wrestled with him all night long. See, God will allow that to happen in our lives, church. Church. Sometimes, God, just to build character in us, God will continue to battle with us until he can pull out all the impurities out of our lives, all the things that keep us from being more like Christ. He will battle with us, and, and, and he will go to war with us if he has to because he wants to see you resemble his son. From this moment on, Jacob walks differently for the rest of his life. He walks with a limp for the rest of his life. It completely changes the countenance of this man because he wrestled with God all night. And when God knew that he would not let go, he touched his hip. And from that moment on, he, he had to walk a little different. This is how you know someone has been with God. Because if they walk with an intellectual strut, they probably need to wrestle with God. Somebody needs to hear this right now. I've been there. I know what that looks like. I know what it feels like to think that you've accomplished a lot in life, only to wrestle with God and realize it wasn't you at all. It was God all the, time, all the while. God ordained those steps. God opened those doors. It's all in who you know, right? Now, if they walk with the limp of humility... That means they've been a few rounds with God, and now they know who they are and who they are not. You see, sometimes God has to humiliate us, humble us, in order for us to realize who's God and who's not. But listen, just because God has corrected you, it does not mean that God does not love you. Listen to me, church. Just because God has brought you under correction... It does not mean that God does not love you. Hebrews 12 and 6, For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So if God has disciplined you or is in the process of disciplining you, it means he loves you. And and good parents, they discipline their children. Solomon said in Proverbs that parents who don't discipline their children, that they hate their children. That's strong, right? Let me tell you what some of you need to do today. You need to go home today, and you need to love your children by beating them. Because I've seen how they act up, and I see how they don't mind. And I just take the belt off and wear them. Just, matter of fact, just go pull them out of children's church right now. Go grab them and just, no, I'm just kidding, kind of, sort of, sometimes. But God didn't change the way Jacob walked because he hated him. God changed the way Jacob walked because he loved him and needed to empty Jacob of himself. You see, when you walk with that pride, with that strut, it's all about you. But when you come walking up and you're limping, all of the pride has, has, has been dissolved out of your life. God did this to him because he loved him, not because he hated him. And throughout God's word, he often reminds us of his love for Jacob. I want you to pay close attention to this because this, this is what we need to get right now. Psalm 97 and 4, hundreds of years later, the psalmist said, He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God is going to reiterate this time and time again throughout his word. He tells us that he loves Jacob. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? It's not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob. Even in the New Testament, hundreds of years later, the apostle Paul says this in Romans 9 and 13. He says, in the words of the scriptures, I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. God confirms his love for Jacob, this imperfect human, that just wants to be blessed so badly that he will even step on people on the way, but now he has has rid himself of of, of this this self-assurance, and now he is relying on God, and then this this attribute of God that that he is able to see something within people. It's one of the most least human yet amazing attributes of God, that God is able to look at a person's faults and and still love them. And, And, you know, in our humanity, We struggle with this, don't we? I struggle with this. You struggle with this. Our humanity is very evident when we know a person and we know their faults. We tend to look down our nose a little bit. We may treat them right to their their face. We may show them respect to their face, but deep down behind closed doors, we've lost respect for them. Not so with God. God did not wait until Jacob loved him and completely trusted him. He blessed him anyway. And in spite of all of Jacob's failings, weaknesses, sin, and shortcomings, God's Word Echoes, Jacob, I have loved. Man, that should give you hope today. That no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, Jacob, I have loved. At Peniel, as we read today, God changed, he changed Jacob's name to Israel. And those two means couldn't be more opposite. He changes his name to Israel, which means prince. He starts declaring royalty over his life. It's interesting, though, that God declares His love for a man while he's still a work in progress, because he doesn't follow up and say, "Israel, I have loved." Hundreds of years later, he still refers to him as Jacob, I have loved. Time and time again, he goes back to the deceiver, the swindler, the cheat. And he says, That's the one I loved. Later, Israel becomes the new and improved version of Jacob, but, but God says, Jacob, I have loved. And the message is loud and clear, church. God takes a person at their lowest, and he loves them anyway. You may be at the lowest point of your life. You may have wronged anybody and everybody, but I can promise you this, it has not changed the love of God towards you. He loves you in this moment. You can just insert your name, Jacob, I have loved. Whatever your name is, just insert it there, because God loves you, because Romans 5 and eight tells us, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to to, to be perfect for him to love you. You don't have to have it all together for God to love you. God loves you right where you are right now in this moment. Now we know this. We know this. As a whole, Israel is blessed, right? As a whole, the Hebrews, the Jews, blessed, But what good does it do to lose a good man in the process? Don't you ever think for one moment, man, this is good. First service got cheated because God just laid this in my spirit. Don't you ever think that no matter where this nation ends up that God has forgotten you? God was not so concerned with Israel and the birth of a nation that he forgot about Jacob. I mean, he already has the sons, right? He can birth a nation from him. He, he doesn't need things to be good with Jacob. He doesn't need things to be right with him. He, God's, God's got a plan in place. But he will not, will not negate his relationship with Jacob just so that he can have a holy nation. And no matter what happens in this country, listen, I will pray for this country. I am patriotic. I will believe with this country. But listen, no matter what happens to us as a nation, understand this. I am a Christian before I am an American. What good does it do to lose a good man in the process before the nation of Israel can be blessed? Jacob the man must be blessed. Because legacy parents produce legacy children, and legacy children produce legacy families, and legacy families produce legacy nations. It's not too late for America. We just need legacy men and women. People that will live according to their birthright and according to their blessing in Christ Jesus. That's what we need. It's not too late. Now let me bring this home and... and Make this really personal for you. One of the greatest mental battles that Jacob had to face was when he lost the love of his life, Rachel. I told you today, we're cramming many years into this one sermon, okay? Leah, he had children with Leah. He had children with Rachel, but man, I'm telling you, that was the love of his life. Rachel mattered. She died giving birth to his last son. And I want to read this account for you because there's some things here that just jump off the page. Genesis 35, verse 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. I can't imagine the heartbreak that Jacob had to experience in that moment. If you look at the big picture, he had worked 14 years. To earn her hand in marriage, he loved Rachel. And she dies giving birth to his last son. It would be so easy for Jacob to become resentful of God in that moment. Why her? Why couldn't you have killed the ugly one? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Why her? Why? He could have very easily learned to resent the son. Because of you, my wife is dead. Don't act like it doesn't happen. Children are resented every day because they come into the world and they change an an irresponsible adult's life and they're inconvenienced by that, and they will hold it against that child for the rest of their life. Don't act like it doesn't happen. It could have very easily happened in that moment. And even on her deathbed while she is giving birth, she names him ben son of my sorrow. Before she takes her last breath, she puts a label on this kid son of my sorrow I'm shocked Jacob just didn't go with it but God has rid him of his self-righteousness and it is in that moment that we watch him live out legacy in his own life Because as soon as he hears his name, he says, No. He will not be called Benoni. He will be called Benjamin, which means son of my right hand, son of strength. Paul said it like this Paul said, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jacob had enough God in that moment, church, that he could look years and decades down the road and realize that his son did not need to be named Son of Sorrow because he knew what the name Jacob meant to him growing up. Cheat. Deceiver and he had enough God in him in that moment that he refused even in his hurt even in his pain he said this is legacy living I will not allow him to be called son of sorrow and he calls him son of my strength Jacob can leave a legacy because he lives in a legacy when you live in legacy, your legacy lives forever. Because he's watching, she's watching, they're watching. In church, I refuse, listen to me, I refuse to wait until I'm dead and gone. And my kids and their kids get to live out my legacy. I'm not waiting I'm going to live in legacy now because living in legacy on purpose it gives my descendants it gives my children legacy that they can live for and I'm not waiting I'm not waiting but some of you you've bought in to the name that has been assigned to you it's not your birth name it's what they call you behind your back sometimes they say it to your face And they've called you a cheat. They've called you a deceiver. They've told you you'll never amount to anything. They told you you can't be trusted. Let me turn this a little bit. They told you you can't be healed. They've labeled you. They've told you you'll die with that illness, with that disease. They told you that this mental health will haunt you for the rest of your life. And you've started believing it. All the labels that they've put on you and listen, God, God wants you to know That who you are right now, you don't have to be perfect. You are who He loves. And if you'll trust Him, He'll give you a new name, He'll, He'll put a new label on you. But don't you be scared of what they think, of what they said. Right now, God sees you through a filter that nobody else can look through. from what I call him, not from what you call him. And your legacy, it will live from what God calls you. And he calls you victorious. He calls you champion. He calls you more than a conqueror. He calls you healed. God has labeled you. And it doesn't matter what they said. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.